Hello. Are you ready for a little afternoon delight? <laughs> Ew, True no. crime. <laughs> Not Why with you. Why wait until the middle of a cold, dark night? When it's right, it's right. <laughs> Stop. Sky rockets in flight. Boo! This is the wrong podcast for that. <laughs> <laughs> My mom's gonna be like, "What's an afternoon delight? <laughs> that ice cream treat?" Yes. Um. Welcome. To Murder of Ages, I'm Karen. I'm Marcy. Thanks nice for being here. to see ya. Oh, that was nice and loud. loud. Um, instead of writing cite sources, I put cute sources. Oh, are they cute, Karen? Mm, they might be. Have some cute stories for us today? I think so. Do you have any um, cool. opening announcements first? One quick one. Okay. I was at Ross the other day mm-hmm. because both the kids came out of their rooms so they're five and eight, and one was wearing a three-year-old shorts that would fit a three-year-old. The other one was wearing shorts that would fit a two-year-old. So I'm like, okay, we're going to go shopping. Yeah. We go to Ross, and there's a lady in front of me with a tattoo on her calf, the back of her calf, in the cashier line. Huge tattoo of a nun. Oh. And it has fangs <gasps> and red eyes, like blood coming out of it. Oh, that's so cool. And Marshall's being his usual little boy self, not wanting to listen to me, touching everything. And I'm, of course, I'm like, stop touching it. Mm-hmm. Leave your mask on your face. Stop touching the toy. Just stop. And so I pull him over when I see that tattoo. I'm like, Marshall, Marshall, look right there. Do you see that tattoo? And he goes, yeah. I said, that's who's coming for you if you don't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's amazing. It worked for a total of two minutes. <laughs> now we need to get that tattoo on our calf so then we can show him every time. It was very scary. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I like... Pretty detailed. I like tattoos like that. Yeah. Not like your normal... Oh, no. I mean, I would never get it, but I appreciate... Very bold. The artistic... Yeah. The artistic... Whatever. Well, I'm first today. Because you have a past murder. I do. Are you ready? So... I apologize in advance because all the information's a little wonky and there like wasn't a lot of information, but there was, but it all, I don't know. So I try to put it together the best way I could. Just tell it to me straight, Karen. I'll try. So I, uh, my cute sources are from mm. Murderpedia mm. and Clark County Today. Oh. All right, so... Warren Leslie Forrest. Have you heard of him? Uh-uh. No. Um, so he was described as being pretty tall, uh, about 155 pounds, so tall and skinny. Now there's string beam. Yeah, with light brown shoulder-length hair, blue eyes, and a bushy mustache. <laughs> but you uh, something else. <laughs> do the drapes match the yeah. carpet? <laughs> a bushy bush. <laughs> Uh, so he was married and a father of two children um, at the time of his arrest, and uh. he was living in Battleground, Washington, when he was arrested. So he was born in Vancouver, Washington, and went to school there, and then he went to, or he enrolled, enlisted? Enlisted in the U.S. Army? Oh, you don't enlisted enroll. sounds better. Yeah. Um... So then in 1970, he went to school in California, 
And then he also lived in Texas at some point. So mm. he traveled around a lot, I'm assuming, after he was out of the Army, went to school, and then came back here to Washington. Oh, okay. That's what I pieced together from it. Yeah. So from January 1st, 1971 to October 2nd, 1974. My anniversary. Aww. He was working for the Clark County Parks and Rec Department. Um, and he owned a creepy blue van and it had a Washington license plate on it. Always a van. Uh, yeah, don't especially in the it. 70s. So this is where it gets a little confusing. Um, so it says he was arrested for the white W-I-G-H-T. White? Yeah, that, I know. It sounds weird. Okay. So white men murder. Um, but there was, I couldn't really find any information about this person. Huh. So, but he pleaded not guilty um, to this charge by reason of insanity mm-hmm. and was sentenced, um, he was committed at the Western State Mental Hospital. So, I'm assuming he was let out, or I'm just not sure if maybe whoever wrote that meant a different last name, like one of the victims that I have, you know? Oh, so I I'm, see. Yeah, that's where it got a little confusing is different. Well, because Murder P, I noticed, is just like... A, it's like Wikipedia. It's just a compilation like of essays people have written. Exactly. And, so, and that, sometimes those two or the three articles on there, they all say something different or have a different timeline. And you're just like, Ugh. I know. So that's why I wasn't going to include that part. But obviously it's important to know uh, that he was at a mental hospital. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how. I don't know. Anyways, so I apologize. Um, you don't call it mental hospital anymore. That's insensitive. Oh, is it? We call it Looney Bin. <laughs> You're a Looney tune. Okay, so in 1979, he stood trial for murder um, because this is the only person they had physical evidence. So all the other cases of all the other victims, I will tell you in a second, are still open, active cases. Oh, so he's just a suspect a suspect in those cases. Right. So he was found guilty of the murder of Krista Blake, and he is in Clark County Jail Prison. Okay. Okay, so here's the list of the victims that they believe um, Warren did but don't have enough evidence back mm. in the 70s. Okay, okay. Okay, so... Number one, um, March 29th, 1972, Barbara Derry, she was 18. Uh, This was in Vancouver, Washington. She was a Clark College student. She was last seen hitchhiking along State Highway 14 east from Vancouver. Her body was found about a month later at the bottom of a silo. Um, What, like a grain silo? Must have been. They must have done. In northern Clark County. So it's a a county park. So I wonder if there's. I don't really know much about Clark County area. Must be just some kind of silo. Yeah. Um, Anyways. So, but um, her body was covered with boards. 
Um, mm. Partially disrobed, and she was missing a bra. How'd they find her? The cause of death was discovered. Uh, oh, no, but that's well, that's a pretty how. good hiding place. Yeah. Especially covered with boards. There must have been a smell or something that alerted someone to yeah. it. Yeah. I thought it did say it, but it doesn't. Um, so she was stabbed in the heart with a narrow bladed instrument, and they identified her uh, through dental record. Hmm. Um, a lot of her friends did say that she was known to hitchhike frequently. I, yeah, I think they were just trying to get some more background on her, but... Mm-hmm. Okay, so then the second victim is the only one that he was charged with. So Krista Blake, this was July 11th, 1974. She was 19 in Vancouver, Washington. So she was last seen on July 11th getting into a blue van driven by a white male. Um, She was known as a hitchhiker. Later, two other witnesses observed the victim suspect and blue van together in the area of Louisville Park sometime before the date of her disappearance. So were they hooking up? Were they, you know what I mean? Like before all of a sudden she's gone now? Or was he in the process of, you know, having her tied up and doing whatever he was doing? Right. Um. So her body was found in a shallow grave on clark county parks property at tukes mountain Mm. tucks mountain t-u-k-e-s the tukies (laughs) (laughs) yes um so she was also disrobed and missing her bra ah so the bra is kind of his keepsake yeah like a little trophy is that what they Uh, call it um so witnesses Said they've seen the blue van up the Tux Tooks mountain site um, on that same day. Um, Chris says hands and feet were hogtied behind her with twine. Hmm. So sad. Okay, so victim number three. They didn't have an ID on her. This was July 17th. So she was 15 years old. Uh, reported kidnap assault living in Ridgefield, Washington. She was also a regular hitchhiker. She was picked up um, in a blue van in the area of State Highway 502. Uh, this was obviously one week after Krista disappeared. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad you said obviously because it was not obvious to me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm not very good with the timelines. I know. It is hard. Um, so apparently she was held at knife point and driven 13 miles. Um, and during that time, the suspect mentioned he would like to take her to Texas and he was to get some money for delivering her to some other males. Ew. So she was beaten in the van, taken to the woods and hogtied to a tree with the same type of twine just a hundred feet from where Krista was found. The victim's bra was cut off and used as a gag. So apparently he, Warren left her saying he would return later. And she successfully chewed through her bonds <gasps> and escaped. Whoa. 
So that's badass. Yeah, I'm not sure why we don't have a name. Maybe she didn't want to be. Oh yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and that's her choice. Um. So she hid in a nearby field until daybreak, where she was found by a parks employee. Um, wow. So the suspect returned during the night and picked up the materials he'd used to bind her and the bra he used as a gag. Two witnesses confirmed the van was at the site during that period. So, yeah, they don't know exactly. Like, everyone just knows the blue van. They don't know yet who this person is. Uh. So October 1st, same year, a 20-year-old... Uh, kidnapped and assaulted um she was standing on a street corner in downtown portland when the blue van stopped to talk to her um he said he was working on a thesis for a class at seattle university and he offered her money to pose for him Mm. and she went um he threatened her with a knife bound her with tape And then he took her 25 miles away to another park in Clark County. There, she was sexually assaulted, and she was shot in the chest. Um, And before, he hasn't used a gun, has he? No, not that I... Or sexually... Or has he sexually assaulted? Yeah, I think he's he's known as a rapist. Okay. Um, So, yes, I would say yes. Uh, She was then led by a rope around her neck, sat on a log, and then she was choked with it. He stabbed her five times in the chest, and her naked body, um, he left her naked body beside a log covered with brush, Mm. and apparently left her for dead. Um, All the clothing was taken from the scene. Um, The victim, I guess she was not dead yet, so about after two hours, she was able to make her way to a public road. Um, so she survived. Wow. Number five and six, this was October 12th. So just 11 days after. See, these are all really close together. Yeah. So one victim is unidentified and one is identified as Carol Valenzuela. Valenzuela. dang it i'm really bad at this but i guess carol was later determined to be a victim of ted bundy's oh yeah okay so both females were found in shallow graves in a clark county area so Um, these guys are operating around the same time yeah in the same area isn't that crazy what yes the hell i know i still see something in the water (laughs) something actually it's all of our woods Yes, it's the Pacific Northwest area, right? Lots of, lots of opportunity, hiding places, college campuses. Mm-hmm. Young, oh, man. naive girls, you know, and there's no, like, cell phones or Facebook posts mm-hmm. back then to update people. Um, okay, so number seven was Gloria Netson. Uh, this was May 9th, 1978. So she was last seen in Vancouver, um, but there's not much information about her and also not sure if this is another Ted Bundy victim, Um, but there is actually a recent update as of January 6, 2020 by Dan Tilkin from KOIN 6 News. 
Um, so the last time Warren Forrest was in Clark County Courthouse was 40 years ago. So he had been convicted of the 1974 killing of Krista Blake. Um, so until now, he only had charges for murder for one person. Oh. But DNA breakthrough. Dun, dun, dun. So DNA um, gave detectives the ability to link Warren to the killing of Portland teenager Martha Morrison in 1974. And then uh, detectives linked, oh, because her blood was found on the weapon Warren used to attack a woman who survived. Um, that woman was not in the courtroom, but another woman who was 15 when Warren abducted her, Norma Countryman, was there in the courtroom. Oh, Can you imagine, like, 40 gosh. years later, you're... They probably just brought it all back. Yeah, and you were a teenager, you know? Uh, I mean, good for her for being able to, because I don't know if I mm-hmm. would be able to. Um, Diane, one of the victims, her sister Karen, uh, was at the courthouse as well. Um, she wanted, you know, justice for her sister. Mm-hmm. And she said that he needs to be hanged. Um, Till his feet quit kicking. Exactly. Oh, and she said he should be done as a child predator too. How come he isn't being charged with that? Oh, it's very true. true. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, the body of Diane was never found. Aww. I know. I can't. Ugh, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. So Clark County detectives believe his killing spree began in 1971 when the um, body of Jamie Grissom, she was 16 years old. Her Oh, sorry. She was abducted, but her body was never found. They found her school ID um in the clark county park area oh yeah and what years did what year did he start so 71 is when they believe i wonder if that is the one from the db cooper story where they said the young woman was the remains they found in the because i keep thinking about that one yeah when the remains were found in the structure out in the woods it was someone who'd been abducted mm-hmm. and murdered. I wonder if that's one of his victims because it would have been 70, 71. Yeah. Or was it 73? In that time period. Right. Though, so. And it definitely in that could. Area. Um, so Jamie, the victim, her body wasn't found. Um, her sister didn't go to court, but her friend Dina was there and told KOIN 6 News um, how she was, like, surprised how – small Warren is Mm. like just she said that he is so tiny like I think like skinny wise Mm -hmm. and this is what a direct quote from her she says you always think that when you're next to evil you're going to feel it or sense it he looks so innocent he just looks like he couldn't hurt a fly that's what made him so dangerous though Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that wolf in sheep's clothing yeah so he was um, suspected of one, two, three, four, five other deaths, except one of them they they think it's Ted Bundy, but Ted obviously is not with us anymore. That would be so, just so frustrating. Yeah. I mean, you have these 
people doing these horrible things, crossing state lines in and out of the same area. I mean, how do you, and you know, neither of them are going to fess up to it. Right. <sighs> so he um, is in the Clark County Jail. So the judge set bail at $5 million, um, but somehow if he managed to get bail, then they would send him to Washington State Penitentiary. So, oh, send him our way. Yeah. So essentially he's not getting out. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, so they are expecting him to stay at the Clark County Jail where his accommodations are a lot less comfortable than at the Washington State Penitentiary. So he's at a jail, not a prison. I guess so. I'm not interesting. Sh- yeah, I don't know huh. how that works. Yeah. Um, I guess at the pen, the food is much better and there are exercise opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where- you get here in Walla Walla, we have excellent food, yeah. excellent exercise opportunities. <laughs> well, and I'm sure it's, you know... 10 times bigger than the Clark County Jail, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also said that in jail, he'll be held 23 hours a day indoors. So he's only allowed one hour outside or out, you know? I mean, not outside of the actual jail, but, like, in fresh air type of a thing. That reminds me of the bringing down the house. We watched not long ago. Oh, yeah. Queen Latifah's character Tifa. wrote the email. He's like, what'd you do today? She said, oh, I'll spend an hour out in the yard. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Um, so th- that's all I have. But I was watching, uh, it's on Netflix. It's called Inside um, a Killer's Mind Ooh, or something like that. I, I've seen, I haven't seen it, but I've seen it on the. Yeah, it's. I started it yesterday, and it's actually really good because it has all of these, like, detectives and um, psychologists and people who have worked studying Mm. this type of stuff. And they say um, serial killers are the ones you would never expect. They look nice. They look prim and proper. You know, they look like your next-door neighbor. And usually they're very pleasant to talk. You know, for the most part, obviously, Mm -hmm. this isn't every serial killer. Um, Just like saying, you know... Every serial killer has a horrible childhood. No, but some do. And they get, like, you should really watch it. It's really oh. good. I mean, it's just they know how to mimic normalcy. Right. So good. Right. And, yes, and they said that most of these men also have children and a wife. And and it's so true. Just it's paint, crazy. Paint that picture of their they're normal yeah and they say that it's, you know, a power struggle. They feel like they're lacking being the i don't you know like the man of something uh so they lost their power and so by kidnapping and raping and killing someone they're doing it on their own makes them Mm. feel more powerful that makes sense yeah it absolutely does oh but that's my good job that's a good one i mean yeah there wasn't too much but i did what i I can you did great thanks perfect I'm going to try to help you. It's my turn. Quiet. God. We're back. I just got fingerprinted from the FBI. <laughs> She's wanted. They think I was the one in the grassy knoll. <laughs> in the where? <laughs> Have you heard that conspiracy theories? Like when, uh, I want to say when Kennedy was shot, there was someone in the grassy knoll. Oh. It was a two-man job. Ha, 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 ha. I know. I'm pretty funny. That's really good. I'm going to tell you some just really heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching horrible perfect after dinner talk oh perfect 
I love those. Present time murder just right down the road from us. <gasps> 2013, <gasps> January 29th. <gasps> My birthday. <gasps> <laughs> the end. <laughs> that is really scary. <laughs> this is about the robbery and murder of Joyce Keith, the elderly woman out in Yuma Pine that lived alone. Nope. Do you remember that? Nope. I wonder if you're going to know some of these people. Probably. So she lived alone out in the country, um, and three men broke in that night. Matthew Raymond Herman, who was 20. Caleb Scott, 21, who was actually from Hoytsburg, <clears throat> and I knew him. And Jacob White, 18. Ring any dumbbells? Yes. Like, the names sound familiar. I feel like I'd have to see a picture or something. Okay. So Jacob White was the youngest, and he agreed to help with the robbery over the promise of a bag of marijuana. And he had a sense something bad was happening in the home because he stayed out in the getaway car, but he could not stand up for himself and leave. Uh, 20-year-old Matthew Raymond Herman is the alleged mastermind behind the attack. And the original plan was robbery on a woman living alone out in the middle of nowhere, supposed easy target. Joyce Key was vibrant, healthy. She walked two miles a day. She was a pillar in her community, respected for work in schools and civic, civic groups. Since her husband died in 2009, she lived alone in their one-story home, tucked beneath towering trees on a gravel road. Sounds so nice. Herman. So this is directly from court records. Okay. Oh, and then I also got a lot of information from OregonLive.com, NorthwestOregonNow.com, opp.com and the east oregonian perfect dot com dot com where was i yes so herman said he knocked on the door of the residence which was answered by joyce key he said his car was broken down and asked to use her cell phone oh no so being nice and kind she handed him her cell phone and herman and scott forced their way into the house they secured Joyce to a kitchen chair with duct tape, blindfolded, and then uh, they went to go look for valuables and money, and when they didn't find what they were looking for, one of the men grabbed a rolling pin off the counter and beat her. The story, according to Herman, he said he left the house and went back to the car where Jacob White was waiting, and then Scott came out a few minutes later, about five or ten, and Herman asked Scott, what did he do to her? And Scott said he didn't, he said he didn't do anything. And Herman said he confronted Scott and said, and told him, you said my name while we were in there. She knows me and she's going to be able to identify me. Where Scott responded, you don't have to worry about that. The suspects then left the residence in the car being driven by White. So that's Herman's side of the story. Scott claims that Herman is the one that he didn't actually see him beat her, but he saw him grab the rolling pin. Okay. Key suffered multiple skull fractures, intracranial bleeding, a broken hip, and multiple facial fractures. Mm. Oh, her fun, her fun, not fun. Her son found her the next morning still bound by duct tape to the kitchen chair. Is she alive? She's in a coma. And she was in a coma for six months before she passed away. Oh, no. From injuries. So investigators at first didn't have any leads, and then they were able to track Herman through DNA on a cardboard roll 
that was likely what held the duct tape. And he was questioned in Oklahoma where he had been jailed on a drug charge. He then told them about White and Scott. According to the affidavits, when Scott was questioned by investigators, he told them that Herman said the whole thing, had the whole thing planned out, and he claimed no one would get hurt. So they're kind of doing a back and forth, blame each other. He said, he mm-hmm. said. Dummy said, dummy said. Yep. During the investigation, White agreed, Jacob White, so he's also the youngest, who okay. drove the car. He agreed to wear a hidden microphone and a surveillance <sighs> wristwatch so police could record the conversation with Scott and try to get a straight view of what really happened. Right. So Scott told White that he didn't harm Key and he didn't see Matthew hurt her either. But he said, like I said, he did see Herman grab the rolling pin while Key was in a chair uh, wrapped in duct tape with the towel over her head. Scott said Herman told him Key had seen his face, so he had to do something about it. So disgusting. So at the same time, Caleb Scott, the one that's from my hometown, Uh had a warrant out on him for the rape of a 14-year-old girl he was living with when he was 20, so a year prior. And when he was first arrested, his best friend of two years and this guy's fiance, the best friend's fiance, tried to get Caleb released into their custody to live with them and their two young daughters. And it didn't work out because Caleb's friend had just gotten a job at the penitentiary as a correctional officer. Mm-hmm. And you can't have relations or any contact with um, people with warrants or, you know, right, felons. Right, right. So that didn't work out, thankfully. <laughs> So Scott and Herman made a play a plea deal. Scott is serving 18 years for first degree robbery, first degree burglary, and second degree kidnapping. So it must have been, I'm guessing when they investigated more, they found out that Herman really was the mastermind right. behind it. Because I'm assuming Jacob didn't corroborate his story when he said, when Herman earlier said he went out to the car and then Caleb Scott came out. Right. So, in court, Jacob White choked up and was almost inaudible as he apologized. I wish I could take it all back and be man enough to make the right choice. I am ama- I'm ashamed of myself. Good. White also wrote a letter and he promised to never cause harm to anyone again. He received seven and a half years on the robbery and 34 months for the burglary. Four of these months run together, so it's a total of 10 years. And after he's released, he'll be under supervision for three years. Hmm. The judge also said he hoped White lives up to his promise, as we all do. Right. So Herman is serving a life sentence for assaulting and murdering Key, quote-unquote life, because he is up for parole after 40 years, which he will be 62 at that point. Yeah. And I wanted to see, I was like, oh, I wonder where Caleb's incarcerated at. I shouldn't have done that. He's here? No. But I did find a dating site for you. You ready for it? Do you want the name of the dating site? I don't know. It's called pinacon.com. Oh, no. Where you can sign up to be a pin pal and date people that are on the inside, as in incarcerated. I mean, hey, we've, (laughs) in these stories, there's been a lot of women. And that's how they do do it. I was so nervous because it's like a little disclaimer before you enter it. (laughs) 
you must be 18 years of age and understand who you're corresponding with. Don't right. give out personal information, all this blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my God. Okay, I really want to read his little blurb, but at the same time, I don't want to enter. Oh my God. Did you I did do it, it. I did it. And it said stuff about like country boy. Um, I did read on there. He's bisexual. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he's built, it also has on there like their release date. Mm-hmm. And it was 2039, I think. That he's gonna be released. He's in Umatilla County somewhere. Okay. But I, I did. I really only read like a little bit of his blurb because I just felt too gross. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. ooh, this doesn't feel right. Uh, so, and part of my research, I also found an article about the lack of law enforcement in rural Oregon, huh. which I thought was really interesting because it's so close to us. Right. And this was on OregonLive.com. It's from 2014. Titled, Rural Oregon Faces Deeper Peril as Public Safety System Weakens. I'm going to read a little bit about this. So, as Joyce Key lay dying in a hospital, 250 people gathered in Milton Freewater, which, that's got to be everyone that lives there, right? <laughs> Basically. It's pretty small. And they all want to know where were the police. And there was an incident um, a year prior where a plumber, Rob Cotter, Rob Carter, he was gunned down as he sat inside of his shop on the outside of town. Aww. The police chief said they didn't want to hear a bunch of excuses. So an investigation by the Oregonian found the criminal justice system in many areas unable to effectively chase, charge, and contain criminals. Law enforcement agencies have shrunk, whittled down by lost revenue, outdated tax base, and poor political decisions. Thanks to the recession, things were even worse. Jobs were lost, and rural Oregon has yet to recover. The situation is perilous, said Attorney General Ellen Rosenblum. We're at risk of crossing the tipping point into lawlessness in some of our rural areas. Hmm. Just like, just hop, skip, and a jump from us. Literally. (laughs) Yeah. And in half a dozen counties, one sheriff after another has ended round-the-clock patrols, Nighttime emergencies mean dragging a deputy out of bed. How scary is that? That seriously reminds me of shows like Stranger Things and stuff where there's just one sheriff. Exactly. (laughs) And you don't even think that happens anymore. Uh -uh. Uh, That's right. Literally in our backyard. So jail beds go unused, not because there aren't suspects, but because there aren't guards. Convicts and parolees who otherwise would be in custody remain free. District attorneys must let certain criminals escape without prosecution because they can't take on more cases. Because of lack of funding, there is likely to be a major event that is going to be catastrophic. That is a big concern, and I think it's more of a question of when and not if. And that was said by Heidi Moad, the governor's public safety advisor. Do you know when that article was published? You weren't listening. Sorry. Don't be such a Marcy. I know. I'm getting dates mixed (laughs) up, okay? 2014. Six years ago. Okay. I'm just... Not super recent. No, but I understand that, like, we're Washington and they're Oregon, but there has to be places in Oregon where they can send people if they don't really have enough staff. That's true. I know. I wonder where it crossed the line where, like, if you call 911, it goes to Oregon and it doesn't go to... Walla County, you know? Right. Well, yeah, like, I understand them not sending them here because it's a different state, but, like, I feel like they're close enough still to, like, a bigger city where they could 
have you know enough if we can help guards yeah. and stuff like i just i, I don't instead think, of letting them go i don't like, think the wall because we also have our walla walla county sheriff's department mm-hmm. and i don't think you can send like a, a walla walla county or a washington state police officer to an oregon state near a different state no, like yeah. sheriff's department no. or anything to help no the guards no it would have to be and a, they probably probably a stater it would and it'd be like i mean if they committed their crime in oregon that's where they're going to do their time if they do time they're right. not going to be sent to walla walla right no yes that's exactly what i'm saying but i'm saying there's bigger cities in oregon where they could oh send i'm sorry saying like from portland yeah or something like that. yeah i mean there's even closer ones or even like baker city or Legrand, or you know they're like, not even that much bigger I mean, they're bigger, but, like, LeGrand is probably... Yeah, B- Baker City is. Like, Walla Walla size? I mean, you would think j- there has to be, like, somewhere. That's what you would hope. God, but just to let them be like, oh, well... Mm-hmm. I have some examples of that. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joshua Pinrod, Pinrod? Rod. 35, he was caught in active burglarizing post offices at a Florence post office, and he was arrested on 41 counts of mail theft. Never faith persecution. Another lady admitted she forged her cousin's identity to steal $5,000 worth of medical care. Arrested on felony theft charges. Let go. April Mm. admitted she made more than $5,000 on eBay by selling computers she stole from her employer. She was arrested, but then let go. Oh, my God. Doesn't that insane? I mean, I would be so terrified that I would get caught. And here they get caught, but then they're just like, okay, bye. I mean, I guess if you want to commit a crime, we know where to go now. (laughs) (laughs) They ended the article, or they had a sentence in the article that I'm in in mine because I thought was really good. It says, Joyce Key's murder stirs that lurking fear in all of us about a stranger at the door. Uh, Because it's so, I mean, you just get a knock at the middle of the night. It's like strangers. That movie literally was probably one of the only scary movies that, creeped me out i and here i mean three of them it was three guys god middle of the night when they're just fucking with you especially like in the movie they have like those masks on which i cannot do mask yeah and they're just messing with you because it's fun like how horrible scares me that was my present oh i do have the one to end it on so it's not a dumb criminal story. This is the title. This is from KIRO7.com. Eerie things going on at serial killer's childhood home in Tacoma. Mm. Real estate broker James Pitts says unexplainable things happened in the Tacoma house where serial killer Ted Bundy grew up. Mm. So many things. That a contractor hired to remodel the home penciled Bible scriptures on the walls and brought in two pastors to bless the house. Oh, my God. I haven't actually read this article. I just saw the title. and <laughs> So, um, this is new information for me as well. I'm not one to believe a lot of this stuff, but this house made me a believer, said Casey Clopton, the contractor. A cry for help appeared on a window as crew members worked in the basement. Heavy furniture wedged into a wall toppled over... Doors and cabinets opened themselves. It all started in September when someone bought the 1,400-square-foot home with plans to redo it. 
he didn't do his research and he didn't know who grew up there. So this is a little bit about Ted Bundy. Oh, that's it. That's the end of the article. Oh my gosh, how yeah. crazy. Isn't that, I mean, to realize you bought Ted Bundy's childhood home, how is that not like the major selling point you know how they put signs above the things oh, yeah. in the yard like ted Bundy's home right you know how many people <laughs> like you would buy it i'm beautiful on the inside <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no i'm beautiful on the outside oh outside yeah. right because ted bundy oh that was yeah. his whole thing is he was a charmer on the outside and then a serial killer on the inside yeah so oh my god can you that imagine though it's a little blue house was built in 1946. Oh my god. The Bundy family moved in there in 1955. Crazy. That's that. I got chills. <laughs> That's a good one, huh? Yeah. That was crazy. Good job. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, guys. Well, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder of Ages. And you can uh, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Yeah, thanks for listening to us on Spotify and Stitcher and Google Podcasts and Anchor. And then there's the lovely category of other. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know what other is, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Shane. We love you and we appreciate you. And I wouldn't go that far. Well, Karen loves you and appreciates you. Marcy doesn't. Um, don't forget we also have Patreon, patreon.com slash murder of ages, and we've been decently good about keeping up with our Patreon exclusive Mm -hmm. content. We're actually gonna do some after this. We do apologize. This episode is coming out later. Yes. It's been finals week over here for Karen. Yep. I'm a procrastinator. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's editing yourself is hard. Like having to do it plus doing finals on top of it. Yeah. (laughs) For me, it's been hard, but we'll get there. Thank you for hanging out and hanging in with us. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Close us out. To all you perverse, notorious wastes, we'll meet you there.